brought to you by CGTN Europe. I'm Stephen Cole. Welcome to the Agenda podcast. The human mind is incredible. It allows us to think, speak, perceive and imagine everything from the ordinary to the extraordinary. But what's the difference between the mind and the brain? And can we really train our minds to be better, healthier people? Today on the Agenda podcast, I speak to Paul McKenna. Paul is Britain's best-selling non-fiction author, a hypnotist and behavioral therapist, about how he claims we can unlock the true power of the mind. But first, we talk to the world-renowned Professor Steven Pinker, a Johnson family professor of psychology at Harvard University, about what we understand so far about the human mind. Just explain, if you can, <laughs> to a layman like myself, how the mind differs from the brain. We all know what the mind is because that is what uh, is taking place when we have every thought, every feeling, every experience. When we think about what the mind is, that, that's the mind. Uh, the brain is what makes the mind possible. It is a discovery of science that uh, information processing in an organ in the skull is what gives rise to our ability to solve problems, to plan our conscious experience, our emotions. How do the mind and the brain relate to each other if indeed they are separate entities? Well, we now know that they're not separate entities. Uh, we didn't always know that. Aristotle thought that the seat of uh, emotion was in the heart, but today we know that, it, that it's in the brain. Uh, the brain has patterns of activity. It responds to information coming into the world because of our sense organs. We can translate our plans and intentions into behavior because the brain controls muscles. But within the brain itself, there are patterns of firing of neurons that cause other patterns of firings of neurons. Uh, the brain is structured in a way that one pattern leads to another in a way that's intelligent, that's coherent, that allows us to think and plan and relate to one another. So, so how exactly do you think our minds work? Uh, is it biological in origin? Uh, it is biological in origin. The process of evolution uh, gave uh, animals a means to take in information from their environment, sights and sounds, to control their muscles, to think ahead, what would happen if I did this as opposed to uh, doing that. And in the case of, of humans, our brain uh, expanded in size. We have very big brains for our, for our bodies, but they, these are the same brains that, uh, that other animals have, and they uh, evolved in order that our behavior be coordinated and intelligent. So if our minds are designed by, say, um, natural selection, uh, does that mean in years to come, say 500 years, uh, our minds will be different? Our, our minds will be different because the input that they take in from our culture is always changing because our, our norms change, our habits, our styles. Uh, we come to know more as science accumulates more uh, knowledge. But the structure of the brain changes much more slowly than, the, than its uh, content. Because the way the process of evolution works is that there are random variations in the uh, genes that 
create small differences in the brains. Uh, brains that result in the, the, the person having more uh, surviving babies will eventually take over in the population, but it's a slow process. So not a whole lot is going to happen in just 500 years. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Um, but what about the, the supposition that uh, we only use a very small part of our brain? Yes, brain scientists have to deal with that uh, claim all the time. Uh, it turns, it's totally false. No one knows exactly where it came from, but it's a widely popular belief, often used if someone is peddling some program or drug to help you use the other 90%. But no, you use all your brain. It's a, it's a, sometimes can be a handy myth, but it is a myth. Uh, now, of course, we are capable of learning, we're capable of growing, we're capable of changing ourselves, but it's not because they're 90% of brain tissue is just kind of sitting around unused. So does that mean we can get our minds, we can train our minds to think differently? Uh, we can, and that's why we have education. Uh, that's why we have persuasion. Uh, that's why we argue with our, our friends and our uh, colleagues and in, in parliaments. We try to change each other's minds because one of the things the brain can do is take in information from other people, largely via language, but also via gestures and facial expressions. The brain is a ravenous uh, uh, devourer of information. Uh, and uh, that's why our brains are so big. Uh, and that is a route to changing uh, the content of our, our brains. I don't think we can change our basic ways of thinking. That is, we think of an object, uh, of a world full of solid objects that have forces applied to them. We think of other people who have uh, minds. Uh, these are deeply stamped into our, the way that the mind works. We don't think like physicists in terms of a huge set of equations of the motions of particles. That's not the way the human uh, mind works. And I don't think we can change basic operations of the mind like that. But what things we think are out there, who's out there, what we think they want, what we think is uh, decent in the society in which we live, those all do change over time. And, and of course, that's how progress is possible. So it's, it's not set by nature from birth. Well, I think some things are, are set. Our most ba the, the basic hardware is uh, set. Our emotions are, are set. We, we're always going to experience fear and love and pride and envy and lust and jealousy. Uh, we're always going to think that other people have minds and that they uh, have desires and emotions. We don't treat each other like, like robots. Uh, so these, the basic operation of the mind, uh, I think, is part of its, its wiring, part of its design, and it, that's not going to change. But that still leaves a huge scope for uh, our uh, appreciating different norms, different values. Uh, people uh, used to think that, that, that women were incapable of uh, taking positions of political power or, or doing science. We know that that's wrong. Uh, people used to believe in uh, unicorns and werewolves. Uh, uh, they no longer do. But isn't that to do with culture and education rather than the mind? Culture and education uh, alter the contents of the mind. And what about the uh, aphorisms of mind over matter? Uh, is that true? No, in the sense that I cannot, by my sheer mental energy, get objects to, uh, to, to rise up off the ground. I cannot sense things that are happening uh, that uh, don't come through my eyes and ears and skin. So the only way the mind can be in touch uh, with matter is through the sense organs and the muscles. There's no such thing as uh, telepathy or clairvoyance or ESP. Uh, or seeing the future. 
we are connected to the world by physical processes, by, by nerves, by uh, eyeballs, by ears, by skin. You know the phrase, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Do men and women's minds differ? There are eensy-weensy differences, in, particularly in the centers of the brain that deal with uh, emotion and drives. Male sexuality and female sexuality aren't uh, the same, as, as anyone knows who's been out on a date or who's been married. Uh, but um, in terms of the basic operation of the mind, uh, they are, are uh, pretty much the same in both sexes. There are eensy differences. On average, men are a little bit better at mentally rotating 3D objects. Women are a little bit better at uh, verbal fluency. But there's huge overlap, and the basic things that the mind can do are the same in both sexes. You've been accused in the past of biological determination. The poor are poor, the bad are bad, uh, the stupid are stupid. Is that an insult to you? Do you, do you react badly to an accusation like that? Well, I, I uh, show why it's false. Uh, determination means that uh, something is absolutely fixed and predictable. Nothing in uh, the, the mind is deterministic in the sense of being uh, uh, absolutely preordained. It's all a matter of probabilities and statistics. But there are some um, things that are, that are uh, uh, strongly pervasive in, in uh, human life. We all uh, have the, uh, the ability to be afraid and uh, jealous. There are slight differences between the sexes, not deterministic differences, but probabilistic differences, that is differences uh, on average. Uh, actual behavior depends on not just our emotions, but also on our, be our uh, beliefs and our values and our norms. Uh, so I think the mind does have a structure. I, I don't think that the human mind is a blank slate. Uh, I think we come into the world thinking and learning and feeling in certain ways. But that still leaves an enormous uh, scope for, for learning and variation, which is why half of my writings are on human nature, but the other half are on human progress. The fact that the mind uh, actually does allow us to improve our lots. We, we abolished slavery. We abolished human sacrifice. Uh, most, many parts of the world abolished uh, hereditary monarchs. Uh, so progress is possible, even though there is such a thing as human nature. Because human nature is like a computer program that can take in information and change its database, the brain uh, can take in information and change its beliefs. And, and what part does uh, do external factors uh, make to the way our minds work? I, I was reading in your book, your most recent book, Enlightenment Now, uh, that as a species globally, we've never been so well off. You've never been better off. How does that change, if it does at all, how we think? Well, when, when people don't have to worry about putting food on the table or uh, keeping the rain out or keeping themselves uh, safe from, uh, from thieves and highwaymen and, uh, <clears throat> and, and uh, criminals, um, their minds can turn to other pursuits. They can start to think about uh, equality. They can start to think about uh, values. They can start to think about the, uh, uh, the, the ultimate purpose of life. These are you know, luxuries that, uh, that, you, that you don't spend a lot of time thinking about if you're worried about where your next meal is coming from. <laughs> so let, let's go back to an absolute basic and lastly um, uh, about the mind itself as opposed to the brain. It, we all try and order our lives or find some order in our lives because we want to avoid chaos, most people anyway. Uh, how ordered would you say your mind was, is? <laughs> Not ordered enough, but I, uh, I try to keep it as orderly as possible.
I, I certainly try to think uh, reasonably. I take in criticism. I try to uh, to know more, to f spot flaws in my own thinking. Uh, I, I do my best. Professor Stephen Pinker, thank you so much for joining us here on The Agenda. We now know there is a difference between the mind and the brain, but what does this mean in terms of understanding our own personalities, thoughts and behaviours? To answer these questions, I spoke to celebrated author Paul McKenna and began by asking him how he first became interested in how the mind works. Well, it really started when I was working as a radio broadcaster back in the 1980s. And I'd had a particularly bad day. I'd broken up with my girlfriend, a row with my boss. The people in the apartment where I was living were keeping me up at night. And I had to go off to interview the local hypnotist. And I showed up and he said, rather than you ask me questions, I need to do it to you. I went, okay, benevolently, skeptically, I sat back. And suddenly I found myself in this wonderful daydream. My burdens were gone. I could think clearly. I felt fantastic. So I borrowed some books from him on hypnotism. And I began reading them and practicing on my friends to help them lose weight or quit smoking. And inevitably, I'd be at a party and someone would challenge me and I'd hypnotize them to become a ballerina and we'd all fall about laughing. But I thought, hang on, there's a lot more to this. And that's where my fascination began. And, you know, I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still fascinated by the power of the human mind. And how do you discriminate? Because I'm still having problems trying to sort out the differences between the brain and the mind, uh, as opposed to the soul and the heart. Perhaps. Mm. Well, uh, the brain, you're right, is a physical organ. Uh, the mind is um, a manifestation of, of that in its uh, part of our consciousness. We talk about the conscious and the unconscious mind. So the conscious mind is the mind we actively think with all day long, that we're thinking thoughts with. The unconscious mind is the larger mind. It regulates our, our blood flow, our breathing. It helps me form a sentence together. So I think about, in the abstract, what it is I want to say to you now. And the unconscious mind creates all the grammatical changes, etc., so that the words come out in a nice flow. So it's not as though we can actually put the mind under a microscope any more than we can put love under a microscope. But we all know it exists. Even though you can't put it through the null set hypothesis, uh, we know that, that the human mind, or that love, or anger, or apathy, or fear, or joy, all exist because we experience them. And say, if you asked um, a neuroscientist to describe what love is, he would give you a description that would be completely different to what a ph philosopher says. Both would be right, but there'd be different <laughs> descriptions. So as a hypnotist, do you uh, deal with the mind or the brain or a bit of both? A bit of both. Uh, primarily, it's with the subconscious mind, because um, the subconscious mind regulates all our behaviors, our thinking. And very often as a hypnotist, people want to change something. They want to lose weight, to quit smoking, to uh, sleep better. And so we go to the subconscious mind and we reprogram it a bit like a computer programmer. So I'm somewhat oh, like a this computer is, This is interesting territory. You reprogram the mind. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so, uh, so I talk speak me through that process. Okay, so when um, you're a child, you learn how to tie your shoelaces, and you really have to think about it. You're going through the, the act consciously, and you're building a set of neural networks in the brain. And what happens is, after you've done it several times, you don't have to concentrate, because all of the cortex is involved when you're concentrating, and then it goes to a small part where that program is stored. So the next time you come to tie your shoelaces, you just go and do it, yeah? Same with opening a door. So it's just the unconscious. That's right. It's then stored in the unconscious, if you like, as a program, so that we, could, we don't have to think about it. You say, opening a door. First time you, you, you have to learn to do it, 
uh, and then you store it as a program. Otherwise, you would have to learn how to go in and out of a room every day. So a lot of the programs that we have running in our subconscious support us. Some of them are are unsupportive, such as overeating, uh, insomnia, uh, an irrational fear or phobia. So as a hypnotist, are you correcting the bad parts of the unconscious? Yes, um, but I see human beings as an ecosystem, uh, eco ecology being the study of consequences. So if you change one aspect of the system, you've got to be prepared for how it will influence uh, the entire system. So in a sense, I'm more like an, an engineer at that point rather than just a binary programmer going, you know, this one, not that one. What I'm doing is I'm looking at the overall system and how it's interdependent. And can people on their own, without your help, generate their own dopamine? Uh, yes. generate sort of, if you like, uh, deliberately positive hormones in yes. their brains. Is that possible? Yes. In fact, we do it all day long. You know, when we think about so the nervous system doesn't know the difference between a real and a vividly imagined experience. So if you imagine walking down, a, if you tell your heartbeat to speed up, here we go, it won't necessarily do it. But if you imagine walking down a dark alley late at night, hearing footsteps behind you and they're getting closer, your heartbeat will quicken. And in the same way, when we think about things that make us feel really good, right, uh, in order to, and we return to a time when we felt really good, something amazing happened, we won an award, we fell in love, you know, or we just thought, what a beautiful day this is. We then create um, uh, the, the opportunity to release more endorphins, the body's natural opiates. You, there will indeed be more dopamine, more serotonin, again, the neurotransmitters of happiness. We asked Steven Pinker about mind over matter, and of course there's an old joke about mind over matter. Mm. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about mind and matter? Well, uh, I think that, again, they're, they're linked. There's no doubt that people who have a positive disposition tend to be in better health. They tend to, you know, all sorts of... There's loads of research that shows that being positive, being happy is good for our health and our well-being and for those of, of those of us around us. And so when we talk about mind over matter, can we actually influence with the human mind physical matter? Again, there's some very um, interesting research that's been done by uh, Dr. Dean Radin, where he put electronic coin flippers. These are uh, random event generators, the technical name for them. So what these do is they're computers that flip zeros and ones about 300 times a second. And he placed these in universities all around the world. Whenever there's an incident involving mass consciousness, such as the O.J. Simpson verdict, the death of Princess Diana, the Super Bowl, the computers move out of, an, of a random pattern into an organized pattern. Now, the mind over matter uh, analogy works very well here when you look at, say, uh, the 9-11 attacks. Not only did the computers move out of the random patterns, before the planes that hit the Twin Towers had even taken off, they began to do this. And in the same way that the animals moved inland when the tsunami happened, there's a precognition that something bad is going to happen. And so his research has uh, led us to now question the fact that, you know, maybe we do have um, some sort of um, psychic or intuitive uh, protection mechanism and, and that that's in place. And at the moment, this is still something that's been researched. All I can report to you is in, in a very short form is what the research is telling us. That brings us to the end of another edition of The Agenda. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify. The Agenda with Stephen Cole airs every Saturday on CGTN.com. You can also find us on CGTN Europe Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube.
the most interesting questions. Are there other living beings beyond Earth? Will man or machine be in charge? Great question. Always have more than one answer. Well, hold on, uh, let me just draw up a list. And always come from more than one person. That's where the credibility lies. The concept of having a machinery which is alive and evolving didn't wait for us. The end of inequality of incomes and wealth around the world, can you imagine how difficult that is at the moment to achieve? Every episode, Stephen Cole, Murray Beveridge, and some of the brightest minds out there shed light on the answers to some of the most intriguing questions. There are two ways of looking at this. Machines can't really discriminate between civilian and military targets. The Answers Project. Maybe we need to just look at this in a bit more detail. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. The Answers Project, a new podcast from CGTN Europe.